can work something out for you. Hey, something really, really cool that I wanted to talk to you about this morning before I get into my message is we have new, we have new prayer requests and praise reports cards. And, and these are way better than the previous ones because they are perforated. Whoa, look at that. And so what we want you to do is we want you to write your prayer requests, then tear off your praise report part, keep your praise report part until God answers your prayer, then fill out your praise report part, hand it in so we can match it up to your prayer request, and then we can tell everybody in here how God answers prayer. And it's really, really important that we do this. So I, know, I know some of you come up to me and you tell me about stuff that God has done. And I say things like, could you share that from the front? Oh, I'm not getting up the front and talking about that. Well, you know, you don't have to get up the front and talk about it. You can just write it. You don't even have to put your name on it. But you can just write down what God has done because we need testimonies. Why? Because testimonies are how we overcome. Come on. I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling flat, when I'm feeling like like God's not coming through for me. When I hear somebody else's testimony, it gives me faith to believe, well, if God can do that for them, then God can do that for me. Come on, so we need your testimonies. We need to hear about them. We need to talk about them. And, and, and in talking about them, we need the world to hear about them because in the world here, how Jesus answers prayer. And, and you know, if, you're, if you are, let me share a little testimony uh, from my own life that happened this week. And, uh, you know, we got things coming up like... Um, Children that need um, braces. How many parents know how painful that is? And uh, we were looking at putting the deposit down and going to put it on the credit card and then pay it off. And, and, um, and I've been praying. I said, God, I don't, I don't want to put it on the credit card. I don't want to go into debt to do that. I want you to do something. You know, we bring our tithes and offerings into your house. Your word says that if I look after your house, you'll look after our house. And, and started reminding him of what he says in his word. And then uh, on Friday, I went off to a leadership tour thing, and I get a text from Trinity saying, somebody put $1,700 into our bank account. And all there is in our bank account is, God bless you. Don't know who it's from, where it's come from, but that's the deposit for the braces. So you know what? I want to encourage you. You just got to believe, trust God, live by what he says. If he says, if you do this, I'll do that, you got to believe it. You got to remind him. He says you can test him in it. And if you're a giver in this church, then I want to encourage you, you you'd let God know, hey, I'm doing my bit, come on, you've got to do your bit. Come on, are you with me? Come on, this should be stirring something on the inside of you. We shouldn't be complacent about, about what God is doing in the world today, yeah? There's a problem, I think that personally, I think, I'm going to get into my message in a minute, but personally, I think as a church, we're under spiritual attack. How do I know that? Because when you're under spiritual attack, passion wanes. And I think if there's one thing that we've lost in our churches, we've lost a bit of passion. People think passion is hype, or people think enthusiasm is hype. It's not hype. When you're passionate about Jesus and enthusiastic about Jesus, it's not hype. It's called loving him. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty enthusiastic about my wife. I'm pretty passionate about my wife. Are there any men in the place passionate about your wives? I'm giving you a really good opportunity here to earn some brownie points. You better get that hand up real fast. I'm passionate about my kids. I'm enthusiastic about my kids. I love sharing about the great things that my kids do. I love celebrating their successes. And then we come into church and we kind of, we fall into this flat thing where, where it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, that's nice. Jesus did that. But, but friend, we, 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 we're, we're missing something. We've lost something. 
We've lost our devotion to Him. And I want to talk about that this morning and, and help you maybe rekindle or refire on the inside of you that passion that you once had for God. So why don't we turn to Acts chapter 2 verse 1 to 4 and I'm going to read quite a bit of this chapter out to you so that you understand the story before we get into the other stuff and you know, I was just praying in my office this morning I have no idea how this message is going to turn out so if it's not good forgive me um, I'll be better next week right here we go when the day of Pentecost came they were all together in one place everyone say one place suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled, everyone say filled, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now this is a promise that Jesus had told them before he left to go to heaven. He said, go and wait because the promised one is coming to you. It is better that I go to heaven so that the Holy Spirit can come, so go and wait. And, and a whole lot of people went and waited, and they waited, and they waited, and then some got bored of waiting and left, and others stuck around. And in the end, there was only 144 in the upper room, the Bible records, when the Holy Spirit came. But this is the promise that God gave them. And, and then it goes on, and, and if we go to chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, now we're there, we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, the crowd became, came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So in other words, what they're saying is that all there's this big marketplace, massive marketplace with thousands of people in it. And we know it's thousands of people because you'll find out a little bit later why. And every single person in that marketplace, even though they've come from all different parts of the world, heard the gospel in their own language as the disciples were speaking in tongues. They were speaking the language of them. It's really interesting, when I was in Fiji just recently, one of the, one of the young guys shared how he, he's a Fijian boy, but he doesn't know Hindi. And, and he wanted to reach out to these Hindi families, but the, the Hindi guy that was traveling with him wasn't with them. And before he knew it, he prayed and asked God to help him. Before he knew it, he's starting to speak to them in Hindi. He didn't even know what he was saying. But they came to the service that night and they got saved in the service that night. God can do incredible things when you ask him to do it. It says, and when uh, we hear them declaring, it says, the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. In other words, these guys are drunk, man. That's what the problem is right here. They're a little bit crazy and a little bit drunk. And then it goes on and it says that Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose that it is only nine in the morning. Nine in the morning is 5 p.m. somewhere else in the world. Can I get a... Oh, sorry. No, this is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And Peter goes on and he preaches one of the greatest gospel messages of all time. A theologically correct, brilliant masterpiece 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the end of him preaching the message, it says this in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other disciples, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is believed and recorded as the beginning of what we call the church. Not bad, huh? On a, on a first Sunday morning in church, you get up with your 11 mates, preach the gospel, and 3,000 people are added to your church in one day. It's not too bad a start, is it? Hello? It'd be nice if we had 3,000 people here on a Sunday. That'd be awesome. Um, but he gets up, and, and, he's, and he's talking to them. They've just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They don't really understand how this whole thing all works, but they know it's a gift from God. And, and people are criticizing him, saying you're drunk or whatever, and he gets up and he preaches the gospel. And the gospel that he preached to them was basically how they had crucified Christ and did it. I mean, he really gave it to them, bullet between the eyes stuff. And 3,000 of them on one moment turned around and said, man, not only do I want to be saved, but I want to be baptized. And 3,000 people were added to their church in one day. And then the Bible says that numbers were added daily to them from that point on. In other words, they were numbers. They've been hundreds were added to them daily that day. Isn't that amazing? One message, 3,000 people starts the church and then hundreds upon hundreds every day been added to the church growing rapidly. My, my first thought that when I, when I look at that is I think to most, my first question is what are they going to do now? I mean, how do you pastorally care for 3,000 brand new Christians? How does that work? How do you sit down 3,000 plus the hundreds out of daily and try and keep up with them all? Making sure that they understand what the decision they've made, getting them water baptized, getting them filled with the Holy Spirit, explaining to them what Jesus, how do you, how do you cope with that? How do you do that? I mean, how do, you, how do you get that going? I mean, how does a church keep growing when it has no pastoral care system, no new Christians program, no connect groups, doesn't even have a hall to meet in? They've got nothing. I mean, they just started, boom, 3,000 people, then hundreds more, and they've got no structure, no systems, nothing in place. And numbers were added to them daily. How does that work? How does that work that, that this church just rapidly keeps growing, yet there's no way that there's any pastoral care in place? You know, um, we, we try to do our best here. I, I would love us to do a whole heap better in regards of our care of you, in regards of our discipleship of you, and we will always look to do a better job of that. But here we're talking where they, they didn't even try to put any discipleship pathway in place. There was no next steps after church on a Sunday morning with them. There was no connect groups and Bible studies midweek. They just kept going. What was the secret to the success of the early church? 
It's really simple, and you've heard this before, and I know when I say this, some of you are going to switch off immediately, but you need to understand that the success to the early church is the success to today's church and tomorrow's church and the future church. It says in Acts 2.42, it says, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, in other words, connect groups, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves. They didn't need a pastoral care system because they devoted themselves. They didn't need to set up some new connect group structure because they fellowshiped daily. They broke bread, had meals together. They didn't need somebody to organize them. I remember once, not in this church, but when I was at Manukau New Life and some of the young adults in the church were like, oh, the youth program's going really, really well. Can, can we have like a young adults program? Well, what, when you say young adults program, what do you mean? Well, like where we can go out to the movies together, or go to Tempin Bowling together. And I, and I stood there and I, and I looked at them and I said, you're 22, 23, 24 years of age. You need the church to organize your social life. Why can't you just ring each other and go and do it together? Why do you need us to organize that for you? You have their phone number. It's called, hey, Johnny, you want to go Tempin Bowling? Cool. Luke, you want to go Tempin Bowling? Cool. You, it's, it's called growing up. You do that for yourself. When you're a teenager, you organize your parents, but when you're a young adult, you organize yourself. You see, the word devoted here in the Greek means earnest, diligent, adhered closely, or to give a constant attention to. They gave themselves a constant attention to the apostles' teaching, to the Word of God, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They gave a constant attention to it. When you're giving your constant attention to something, you are constantly checking on it, making sure it's all right. I can remember once when I decided to, to do a, uh, I've never, ever, ever done a, a glazed ham for Christmas before. I've never done one before in my life. And, and Trinity decided that it would be good if I did it. Um, we only invited about 30 people over for a Christmas dinner, but Trinity decided I should be the one to do the glazed ham. I mean, the glazed ham is meant to be Christmas. Yes, it's meant to be the star of Christmas and then I have to do it and I've never done it before. I think she was trying to set me up so that if I over caramelized it or burnt it, she could say I pregnant it. And I can remember when I, I had the I had the uh, the recipe out and I followed the recipe exactly to how it said it and I and I can remember it saying you have to baste it so many times and, and I'm just going I'm I'm constant man, I, I got my alarm set, the alarm's going off on my phone and I and I'm I'm I am giving it constant attention to make sure that this thing doesn't burn, to make sure it cooks all the way through. Because I want everybody to turn up to our dinner and go, Wow, Craig, you are like Jamie Oliver. You're amazing. If I didn't give it constant attention, how many people know I probably could have dried out, it could have burnt, something could have happened to it, it could have been destroyed, and rather than it being an enjoyable meal for all of us to share, it would have been a disaster in a fish and chip shop run, if you know what I mean. 
And this is the kind of thing that this word here is saying. Devoted means to give constant attention to. It's, it's amazing how quickly relationships, whether it be with God or whether it be with your wife or your husband or your kids or friends, it's amazing how quickly those relationships can dissipate when they're not given constant attention. It's amazing how you can go for a week, yeah? Married couples, where the week is just crazy and it's nobody's fault, but by the end of the week you realize, I don't think we've even had a conversation this week. Can anybody? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had that kind of week this week. We had Monday and Friday, I went to a leadership tour of Arise and went out to lunch with a bunch of pastors afterwards and then went to man conference on Friday night and Saturday and got home here at about four and then was here at the church to 6.30 and finally got home on Saturday and, and I'm looking at Trinity and I'm like, do you recognize me? Am I strange? You know, like if you don't give it constant attention, what happens? You start snapping at each other, snarling at each other, you're reacting because you're tired and rather than having your usual patience or understanding or you get home and you're a little bit wound up, yeah, and you don't understand that your wife has already had a discussion with the kids about tidying up their rooms and there's a plan in place for that to be sorted, but you don't bother to talk to her because the days are so crazy. You're not giving it constant attention, so you see the rooms. You lose the plot because you've asked them every day for the whole entire week. And then you start growling at your kids. That's what my neighbor does. I, it's not me. I just, apparently, that's what happens. And then, and then the wife comes and says, I've already had a talk to them about that. Well, I didn't know you had a talk to them about it. And then the next minute, you're fighting. Why? Because you haven't given constant attention to it. You're not giving it that constant input, that constant need. It says that they devoted themselves. They gave themselves constant attention to what they were doing. Our number one priority, friend, is that we have to take personal responsibility for our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's nobody else's fault. It's not the church's fault. It's not your kid's fault. It's not your wife's fault. It's not your parents' fault. It's not your husband's fault. It's not your work's fault. It's not the traffic's fault. If you're not giving constant attention to your relationship with God and it drifts, it's nobody's fault but yours. Lance showed me this really cool app that he downloaded. What's it called again? Streetwise, is it? Streetwise. And it's like the Bible um, being read out, but kind of like this hip-hop kind of music in the background. It's kind of, I've been listening to it in the car, kind of cruising around. Listening to it, kind of got this groove in the background. You can find all sorts of things that you can, you might spend 15 hours a week in traffic on the motorway going to and from work, but you can play something in your car that allows you to give constant attention to your devotion to Jesus. You got no excuse. There's apps for Africa. There's reading programs like you wouldn't believe on your version of all sorts of things that you can do. And it takes all of five minutes to do. There is no reason on earth why any of us can't give a constant attention to our relationship with Jesus. Is there anybody here that is saved today? You know Jesus has saved you. Come on, lift your hands up. You know Jesus has saved you. Is anybody here? Leave your hand up. Leave your hand up. Anybody here that Jesus has answered your prayers? Anybody here where God has done a miracle for you? Anybody here where God has saved you from your stupidity? Then why is it when we understand that he saved us, 
that he's delivered us, that he has saved us even from our own stupidity and doesn't allow us to pay the price for our bad decisions, but he rescues us. Why is it then that we just let our relationship with him drift? Why? Why do we make it somebody else's problem? Why do we make it someone else's problem? See, our number one priority is to devote ourselves to his word, to prayer, and prayer. When I say prayer, please, the church has taught prayer. And I'm not, I'm not, please don't get upset with me when I say this. If you have a gift of prayer on your life, if you're an intercessor, man, you can lock yourself away in a room for an hour and pray, and you're all fantastic, but not all of us are intercessors. And unfortunately, what the church has taught is it's taught intercessory prayer rather than relational prayer. And relational prayer with Jesus is a conversation, it's just a conversation. It's a common, Smith Wigglesworth helped me change my prayer life. He said this, he said, I don't pray more than 15 minutes, but I don't go more than 15 minutes without praying. Because the Bible says pray without ceasing, in other words, nonstop. So what does it mean? It means whenever I think about something, I just pray about it. I might be sitting there at my desk and, and all of a sudden, one of you will pop into my head, like, like Tim popped into my head this week as I'm sitting at my desk. And so it's just a quick little prayer. God, I pray, pray for Tim, wherever he is right now, that you'll be with him, that you'd help him, that you'd hold his hand through whatever trial he's going through. They'd know that you love him. And then I just carried on with my email. The other week I thought of Justin and stopped praying. Just constantly, all through the day, think of a situation. I start thinking about Sunday, and so I pray about Sunday rather than worrying about Sunday. That's what prayer is. Prayer is a relationship with Jesus, but there's two sides to a relationship. There's you talking and then there's you listening. And my mum always said this, if you want to have a good relationship with Jesus, understand this. You have twice the ears and then you have a mouth, so do twice the listening to the talking. Some of us do more than twice the talking, yes. 35,000 words in a day, that's not enough. Let me increase that to 60. It's our number one priority, his word, prayer, worship, worship, worship. We're going to do a series on worship next year. Constantly needs our attention. Nothing lifts my spirit more when I'm feeling down than when I get in the car and I put worship on. When, when something's bothering me, when something is distracting me, when, when the atmosphere in the house just w isn't what it should be, worship gets put on. Because worship creates an atmosphere. Worship creates a, a place where, where God can come and sit His presence there. And it's way better than kill the police. Why then, when we know that he's our saviour, why then, when we know that he's done so much for us, why then, when we could, we could talk about the prayers that he's answered and the, and, the, and, the, and the miracles that he's done in our lives, why do we let our devotion slip? Because devotion gets distracted. Devotion gets distracted. Listen to this, Revelation 2, chapter 2, verse 2 to 5, it says this, I know your deeds. He's talking to the church of Ephesus. It says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. This is really good report card so far, yeah? 
that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. I know you have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. I mean, this is a really good report, yeah? Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the first love that you had first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. He's saying, you're doing all this cool stuff. You're doing servolutions. You're doing all this cool stuff. You're doing amazing things. You, you have stood the test of time. You tested those that are coming and said they're from me, but they're not from me. And, and you have gone through hardships for my sake. And, and I so appreciate that. But, but in the process of you doing all this good stuff, your devotion to me has drifted. And now you've lost your first love. And the reason why you were doing the things that you did, the reason why you're enduring the hardships, you don't know anymore because you lost your first love. You endured those things because you loved me. The Bible says this, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. He's not saying that you have to keep my commands if you love me. He's saying, he's saying this, he's saying, if you love me, it's really easy to keep my commands. Because love always makes things easier, yes? I realized this week that when it came to me and Trinity, because it's such a busy week, that, that, that I wasn't able to give it the constant attention. And, and to be honest with you, probably the last couple of weeks, I haven't given it the constant attention because it's so easy sometimes to come home and not really feel like doing things, yes? It's so easy to come home and feel like, actually, the couch loves me. And it deserves me just to sit here while somebody does everything else for me. It's the, the couch is, it's, it's almost demonic, isn't it? It says, come, sit, put the feet up, lie back, have a rest. Somebody else can feed you. That's what children are for. But I probably hadn't been doing the things that I usually do around the house. Usually in the mornings I get the dishes done and I put a load of washing on and, 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 and if I get a chance while well, Trinity's in the shower, I'll fold the washing from the day before. I'll, I'll do things. I usually do little things around the house in the morning and at night when I get home, same sort of thing. Help with dinner, she needs help with it, get the dishes done. Do it. And I'd stop doing some of those little things. How many people know when you stop doing the little things, all of a sudden we start having big problems? Because she's now feeling unappreciated. You lazy. <laughs> Baby, I went to the gym today. You don't understand the pain this body's going through. If you don't get off your rear end and help me with dinner, you don't understand the pain you're going to go through. But it's the little things, isn't it? It's the little things. I can, re I can remember when we were dating, it was the little things. She kept every, I'm not very good at writing cards and love letters and stuff like that. It just, I start writing and I just think, oh, that sounds so corny and crappy. and it's just, So I, I don't really do that, but every single one that I have, she has. She's kept. Me, I'm the kind of card guy who's like, oh, that's nice. <whistles> File 13. I don't hold, it's just not my, it's just not my kind of thing. And, and I remember talking to her and talking about some of the big things that I had done. You know, when I, 
when, when, like, when we didn't have a lot of money and we were dating, oh, I didn't have a lot of money, sorry. No, it's, when you're dating, it's we don't have a lot of money if it's my money, isn't it? Is that how it works? The guy's money becomes your money when you're dating, is that, can I get an amen to that? And I can remember not having a lot of money, wanting to do a really cool date, and so, so I, 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 I knew she liked chicken sandwiches, so I made chicken sandwiches, and she loves mallet puffs and sparkling grape juice, and I put it all together, and we, we climbed over a fence and broke into the botanical gardens and Manukau there, and, 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 and when we put the, put, the, you know, put the blanket out at night, and, and we're having chicken sandwiches and mallet puffs and sparkling grape juice, and then I pulled out the cassette deck and push play dun, 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 dun. got her up starting to dance under the moonlight and next minute there's a torch going oi who's it and then it's a crooked rapid pack up back over the fence and the car and off those are the big the big events you know the stuff that you put your time and energy into those are the things that I remember but she just remembers the little things and Jesus is really clear about this when it comes to our devotion. He says, if you're faithful of the small things, God will give you much. There's something about the little things that God just loves so much. And the little things when it comes to our devotion to him has never changed. It's never, ever changed. He says, you've forsaken your first love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. What were the things that we did at first when we first loved God? Reading his word wasn't a chore. Reading his word was a joy. Praying wasn't a problem. Praying was just what we, you know, you, you know brand new Christians. Yeah? It's just like Jesus talks to them every five seconds. They're just like, God told me this, God told me that. God told me that. And, and we shouldn't shoot that down. We should encourage that and say, you know what? God can speak to you like that for the rest of your life. You don't need to become like me who's been a Christian for 40-something years and got complacent and cynical about God, about God. You can live with that all the time. But it's the little things, isn't it? It's the prayer. Nothing changes when it comes to the kingdom. It's, it's not like God goes, okay, when you're first saved, read your Bible, pray, worship, attend church, give. Those are the things that you should do when you first get saved. But when you've been saved 30 years, that all changes. No, nothing changes when it comes to Him. It's still whether you're a 30-year Christian, 40-year Christian, 50-year Christian, 60-year Christian, it's still word, prayer, worship, giving. Word, prayer, word. nothing changes. That's the devotion to him. And that's why, that's why Paul says here to Timothy, he says, don't get distracted, Timothy 4, 7 to 8, he says, but keep away from those godless legends. Keep away from the stuff that will distract you, which are not worth telling. Keep yourself in training for a godly life. Physical exercise has some value, but spiritual exercise is valuable in every way. Why? Because it promises life both for the present and for the future. I love that. That, that spiritual exercise, word, prayer, worship, giving, prepares you not just to have a great life now, but a great life after. It's, it's spiritual training. Keep yourself in training for a godly life. Training is a repeated action, and sometimes it's, it's really boring, yes? Sometimes a repeated action becomes really boring, and, and you feel like you're just going through the motions and, and really, really boring and 
training just I remember when I was training for soccer and and our coach for three hours non-stop did one training drill with us and it was just boring and boring and boring but what happened was is that when we came to the game on Saturday it was so in our subconscious after doing it for three hours that we just naturally did it in the game because you got to understand that I learned this yesterday that your 10% of your conscious mind actually dictates the 90% of your subconscious mind and it causes the habits in your subconscious to become your normal habits. That's why when you first start to drive, you're concentrating in your conscious mind, yes? You're like indicating, checking everything. Now you drive home half the time and you don't even remember how you got there. Why? Because your subconscious mind drives you home. Because your conscious mind has taught your subconscious mind what to do. Are you with me this morning? And so I started thinking about the importance of training. And, and, um, and Jean is, is, a, is one guy that I thought about. And Jean does jiu-jitsu and karate and all. He's, he's really, don't take him on, okay? So, but the thing that I guarantee he's trained for more than anything else is as a fireman, he's trained for fires, yes? And, how, and you'd train the same drill how many times? Jean, in your lifetime, hundreds, thousands of times. The same drill, over and over and over again. Same drill. Not even necessarily having to go to a fire, just training the same thing, over and over and over again. And what happens if a fireman gets distracted during the training drill? The chief would pull him to one side and slap him and tell him to get himself devoted back to the training and focused, and you give it your careful attention, why? Because he understands this, that, that the training minimizes the risk. The training minimizes the risk. When he's, if he's not going to be distracted at training, and he's going to be devoted to his training, he's going to be paying careful attention to his training, then when the fire comes, it minimizes the risk because he's not going to get distracted by what's going on around him, but his conscious mind has taught his subconscious mind what to do because the training has got in through the conscious thing, and now it's just second habit that when he turns up to the fire, the training has taught him how to minimize his risk without him even having to think about it. You see, trials in life burn us because we haven't trained for it. We've got distracted and we've lost our devotion. And rather than be able to pull something out of our devotional life to be able to answer the situation we're in, we're over here lost, not really knowing what to do because we got distracted from our devotional life. We got distracted from the Word. We got distracted from prayer. We got distracted from worship. We got distracted from church. We got distracted from giving. And now we're over here and we, we want to be able to pull something out of our subconsciousness, but we've got nothing there because we haven't trained ourselves for that moment because we lost our devotion and we became distracted. And in Revelation, they got distracted by doing all this good stuff. But you don't understand, it's devotion that I want. You see, good works don't bring relationship. Relationship brings good works. When I was, became in relationship with Trinity, it brought good works out of me. But good works didn't get me into relationship. Are you with me this morning? Trials burn us because we weren't trained for it. We got distracted and we've lost our devotion. It says this in the message of 1 Timothy 4, 7, 8, and I love this, this version of it. It says, exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. 
Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so. Making you fit both today and forever. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. It goes on and says it again. I love that. No spiritual flabbiness. You know, you don't try to get through life, you train to get through life. You've got to train yourself so you can get through. The Bible says this, I was reminded again this week on Friday, beware of the devil's schemes. Well, how do you know what the devil's schemes are? You read what his schemes are. You train yourself for what his schemes are. So when they come, we recognize his schemes. But you have to train for the enemy. Not try to overcome the enemy, but train for the enemy. That's why when the enemy came and tempted Jesus and said, why don't you turn this stone into bread? He said, oh, you don't understand. I have training. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He had an answer for every single situation because he had trained for it because of his devotion. I can turn around, well, Jesus was the son of God. Yeah, but Jesus was fully man. Fully man. Same temptations, same problems that you and I have, he had. In fact, I reckon it would have been worse for him because he had to become fully man. Must have been times of time where he felt like, man, can I just switch back into my God mode here for a moment? I sort that fella out. You know, a couple of Pharisees, zip, zip, gone. You can have great intentions but not be intentional. And I, I want to encourage you this morning. What I'm trying to say to you is, let's, can, we, can we choose to train? Can we choose to get back to being devoted again? Can we choose to, to, to not be distracted anymore but get back? Oh, well, I, just fine, reading the word boring. I, I just, I, look, I understand that sometimes that is, but there is so much material out there that can help you. Your version has all sorts of stuff. There's apps that you can download. There's all sorts of reading materials. There's word for today that we're getting coming to the church. There's all sorts of things that can help you to make it interesting and help you find, but we've got to train, friend, because you can't try your way through this life. You can't distract your way through this life. You have to be devoted to Him. It's a devotion to Him that gets us where we're going. It's time, I believe, to move from distracted back to devoted. It's, it's time to move from a distracted life back to a devoted life. And, and it's a really simple question of how to do that. And it's really, really, really simple question. The question is this, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? That's the real question that you have to come to yourself today and say, do I really love him or have I lost my first love? Because when you really love someone, affection is always the answer to apathy. When you're in love, man, there's no apathy attached, is there? When you're pursuing that, when you were pursuing your wife, men, there was no apathy, was there? You went for the jugular. You pulled out your best. Yes? As Donna Crouch said, she said before she got married to her husband, he was a knight in shining armor. Now that she's married, he's a farting, burping sex machine. It's just a joke. You can laugh. It's church. Because the real you, we don't show, do we, guys? Come on, let's be honest this morning. When we're pursuing the woman that we love, we're showing ourselves as a knight in shining armor. 
It's not until we marry that she discovers that you smell. Yeah? You know when your teenage son all of a sudden has a crush, don't you? Because he smells like lynx overboard. Yes? You don't have to ask him to have a shower anymore. He's having three or four a day. You know, you know what I'm saying? We present our, when, when love, when affection kicks in, apathy goes out the window. It's, it's amazing. It's like my mum, when I, when I was dating Trinity, we were shifting house and my mum said, you can spend the afternoon with Trinity if you spend the morning helping us shift and I didn't want to spend the morning helping shift. So I was trying to get out of it and then I said, fine, I'll ring Trinity and talk to her. I ring Trinity and Trinity said, no, if you promise to help your mum in the morning, then help your mum in your morning. And my mum was like, I knew that day that Trinity was the right one for you. But you'd be amazed how fast I worked in that morning knowing that I could have the afternoon with Trinity. She said, if it's all done by lunchtime, you can go and spend the rest of the... And I, my affection got me out of apathy. And man, I worked my butt off shifting mum and dad. And in three hours, we shifted the whole lot. Stuff was thrown all over the place. I don't really care. It's just like boxes were going through windows. And... But you know what I'm saying? When, you've got to ask yourself, because if you really love him... Apathy isn't a problem. But when we've lost our first love, it's because we've stopped doing the first things that we did. And it's not rocket science, and this is not some unbelievable sermon where you're gonna go, wow, I've never seen that before. Because we know it's the word. We know it's prayer. We know it's worship. We know it's giving. We just gotta get back to it. We just gotta get back to it. You see, there's one other thing, though, that I think that's going to help us in our devotion. I think we have to understand something that God didn't just save us from something, but God saved us for something. He didn't just save you from something, but he saved you for something. And the thing about Peter, the man who got up on the day of Pentecost and preached a message that saw 3,000 people come to Christ in one day, Peter, we know, only a few chapters earlier, was a distracted man denying Christ, denying that he was friends with him, denying that he existed. Peter was distracted. He was in denial. But one encounter with the Holy Spirit in the upper room turned the denier to someone who was on fire. And he got up on the day of Pentecost and preached the gospel. And in Acts 2.43, it says this, everyone, when it talks about what was happening and the people being saved and everything that was going on and, and the signs and wonders and miracles says everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And I really felt like God say to me that demonstrations of power produce devoted followers. Demonstrations of power produce devoted followers. Why? Because they're filled to follow. Peter was filled so that he could follow. The denier got set on fire because the Holy Spirit came upon him. Because he had an encounter with Jesus. Because he said of himself, and the upper, can you imagine how boring that upper room could have been of all the time that they waited? When is this thing coming? When is this thing happening? Because Jesus never gave him a timeline. He said, just go and wait. Go and wait. I think one of the problems that we need in our world today in our Christianity, and hey, I need to hear this message as much as anybody, and maybe I should do a message about it, is we, we've lost the ability to be patient. My mum would always say this, good things come to those who wait. 
We don't want to wait. What's that? 30 second wait on my McDonald's. <laughs> Going somewhere else. But he said, you go and wait. Go and wait in the upper room. Can you imagine how boring it was waiting up there? Because you wouldn't want to leave in case you missed the opportunity. Oh, reading my Bibles, praying, doing it. It's, it's, I just can't, it just kind of gets boring, friend. Patience. Training. Training. Stay at the gym this week and I hurt my foot so I can't go on the treadmill, so I've had to swap over to the rowing machine. I hate the rowing machine. The rowing machine does to me in 10 minutes what the treadmill takes an hour to do. Pulling on the rowing machine. and The problem was, beside me was a young girl on the rowing machine who started the same time as I did. So there's no way I was going to quit before she did. She went for 25 minutes. After 25 minutes, I'm like, But I did one more minute and went to 26. I don't find that exciting. I don't find the treadmill exciting. I don't find the row machine exciting. I don't find the stepping machine exciting. I find them all incredibly demonic. But if I don't train, I won't be ready for the day of battle. If I don't train, if I don't get fit, then how can I carry the call that God's got on my life? If God wants me to do stuff, how can I do that if I'm not... uh, Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that you carry God around inside of you? And I felt like God said to me, do you want it to look like a three-bedroom shack or do you want it to look like a five-star hotel? I need to be fit so I can carry the call. But Fred, you need to be trained so when the trial comes, you minimize the risk of being burnt. And the only way to train, friend, is to get devoted. But there's one cool thing that happens when we get devoted is the Holy Spirit comes and He fills us so that we can go from the distracted to the fire. So we can go from the denier to the guy who stood on the day of Pentecost. Because that's what He does. He says, if you'll do these things, I'll come and I will fill you. I will fill you. Oh, you don't understand, Craig. I, 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 I've believed for God to fill me before and, and, and it hasn't really happened. And I've believed for this before and it hasn't really happened. I've been praying for this and it hasn't really happened, friend. Friend, I'm telling you, it will happen. Though the vision tarries, wait for it. It'll come. It'll come. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? I gotta get moving, otherwise we're gonna be in trouble this morning. But I want you all to close your eyes just for a moment. Every single person in this place. So I don't wanna close my eyes. Can you just close your eyes? Just for a moment, because friend, I don't know about you, but I know God's been speaking to me so strongly in the last three or four weeks about things in my life that I want change. And God's saying to me, well, what are you doing about that? Because doing nothing, how is that working out for you? There's going to have to be some changes that take place. The kids are going to have to learn that they're secondary to the marriage. 
maybe jumping in your car at lunchtime and having time with Jesus rather than spending your time just hanging out playing pool with your workmates is what God's asking. I don't know what it is that he's asking you, but I know this, he's asking for devotion. And I know when you devote yourself, when you wait on him, then he comes and he fills you. And I don't know about you, but I need to be filled. I need to be filled in Ephesians 19. It talks about 519. It talks about being careful of the, the, the principalities and powers of things around you. And it says, you know, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, singing and spiritual songs and hymns. And he's basically giving us an answer. I heard that this week. He's basically giving you an answer that, that, that to overcome some of the spiritual take that you're over, the answer is worship, 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 worship. Spiritual songs, hymns, just singing, worshiping, lifting our hands like a funnel saying, fill me, God. Fill me as I devote myself in just this moment as I devote myself Lord, as I, as I give close attention to you in worship, this is why worship is so important on a Sunday morning. And, and, and it's not good when you turn up 15 minutes late because what we're saying is that I'm not gonna pay close attention to my worship. But when we pay close attention to our worship, God sees the close attention. And the Bible says that as we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. And then He comes and fills and He, and he builds His house inside the place that brings Him praise and brings Him worship. And so when I come into His presence, it's, it's worship for Him, but I'm the one that leaves. With Him living in me, and Him living in my circumstance, and Him living in my situation, it's, it's me that's better off, even though He's the one that deserves all that He gets. But I know this, when God says, hey, you're paying careful, it's a devotion. You're paying constant attention. There's a devotion there. I'm going to come and meet with you. I'm going to come and fill you. And so right now we're going to sing some worship just for a moment. And I want you in this place. I want you to give him devotion this morning. Not, not, not your normal worship. And when you're feeling really good, you go widescreen. I'm talking touchdown worship. Where we're just giving our all to him where we're not actually worried about the people around us and what they're going to think because right now in this moment, I'm devoting myself to you. My devotion is to you, God. I'm paying careful attention to you right now. So when we just close our eyes right now across this place and lift your hands as the team start to sing this morning. 